Good morning, everyone. I was a little nervous to turn my mic on. Uh, I didn't know what sounds were going to come out, but we made it. We're good. I am Alicia Marshall, and I have been attending Atlanta Christian Church for about seven years now. I started coming when I was engaged to my husband, Kyle Marshall, who was on staff at the time. And he has since joined me in serving with a campus ministry called Bread Coffee House at Emory University. ACC has been our family for a long time, and so it's really special for me to have the opportunity to be up here teaching today. I am really glad that we kept singing, Jeff, because I'm talking about singing today, and it would have been really awkward if we had just been like, well, I guess we're not doing that today. So thank you for your patience and just powering through. Um, a lot of you may not know this about me, but when I started college at Atlanta Christian College, another ACC, which gets really confusing, I thought that I was going to be a music major. I was a part of choir and drama. I was that kid all through middle and high school. And so it seemed like the next right step for me to pursue that. But I started taking theory classes and they were really hard. And so I switched my major. And then I switched my major again. And then three major switches later within my first year, which is why you shouldn't let freshmen try and decide what they're gonna do for the rest of their lives. I landed on a major in children's ministry with a minor in music. Music was still a really important part of my life and continues to be today. I will say as a disclaimer that Derek and I have very different taste in music. So the bands that he is uh, showing on Instagram are not the ones that I regularly listen to, but I think that we can both have appreciation for music even if it takes different forms. We can all agree that music is powerful. It does something inside of us that we can't even put into words sometimes. For me, so many memories and emotions are attached to certain songs. When I hear them, I vividly remember that moment or period of time from my past. And sometimes those are fond memories and sometimes they're more painful. For example, there's two country songs in particular that make me think of an ex-boyfriend, and whenever I hear them on the radio, I skip it as fast as humanly possible, because I don't want to go back there. Any song from the Wicked soundtrack, I think it's in uh, the Fox Theater right now, but any song from that takes me back to my intern year at Bread, because we listen to it on loop over and over and over again, and so it just makes me think of that special time and me starting my time at Bread. We listened to it so much that we subconsciously painted one of the rooms in our campus house that wicked green. Um, so you can come by and see that monument, if you will. Up next, Amazing Grace always makes me think of my grandmother. Her name was Grace and she really loved that song. Since we're entering the Christmas season pretty soon, Oh Holy Night always makes me think of my Uncle Tom. He was an incredible singer and he used to sing that every Christmas Eve before he got a lung disease and wasn't able to sing anymore. When I hear it, it still brings tears to my eyes as I think of the incredible man that he was. Last but not least, the canon in D, which I know I cannot exclusively claim as my own. It's played at like every third wedding. But even if I'm sitting at someone else's wedding and I hear it, it takes me back to that moment that I was walking down the aisle to marry Kyle. These are powerful memories that all it takes is a few notes for me to just remember. Now, these are special personally, but there's other songs that are special to us collectively that have this influence over a group of people to make you feel a certain way. So we're gonna do a little experiment today. 
I'm gonna play some songs for you and I want you to let me know how they make you feel, okay? What about this one? Okay, okay, those are polarizing. I know, I know. We're gonna end on one that is gonna make us a little more unified in how we feel. Unless you are under the age of four, you probably loathe that song. Even if you don't have a child, it's like mainstream. I don't even know how that song has made it from the campfire that I used to sing at camp to being everywhere, but I hate it. And it sounded like I'm not alone in that. <laughs> Joking aside, there's something so powerful about music. And um, I was thinking about this recently. Our seniors at Bread have started this new event each Saturday. They're calling it the Arts Spotlight, where they pick a performance or a concert or something that's happening on campus in the arts field, and they rally students and they go to it. And I had the chance to go with them to the most recent choir concert. I think I have a picture up here. Yes, this is the crew we took with us. You can see Josh up there, Aaron's up there. It's kind of faded, but they're up there. Um, and it just took me back into this world as soon as I walked into the, the concert hall. There was something breathtakingly beautiful just going into that space. And it was almost preparing you for the experience. And the concert started and the Emory Concert Choir came up and these students practice, I think three days a week. They're incredible. Um, just going through so many different songs and I'm sitting next to Josh who is a part of Emory's music department and he's like a music nerd so he's going on about the harmonies and the intricate technique that is employed and I'm like I was a music minor dude I just think it's beautiful <laughs> but then my favorite part of the concert happened when the director got up and said we're going to need just a quick pause we're going to bring some new people out onto the stage and we're going to bring out some instruments and the last part it was just two songs but it was done by what they call the Emory U chorus Emory University chorus and what I loved about this group was that it was open to everyone. Anyone in the Emory community could be a part of it. They practice Monday night and that's it. It's open to professors, to alumni, to parents, to the neighbor next door. And it's people of all different ages and walks of life that are drawn together by music, that choose to express themselves through music. And the instruments were added bonus. It just swelled and swelled and it felt holy as they were performing. It just, there was something spiritual that happens in those kind of moments, you know what I mean? It gave me goosebumps. If you were here last week, Derek introduced that we're going on a series leading up to Advent that's called Lyrics of Mercy. And we're walking through a different Psalm each week. When he gave me my text, I freaked out a little bit because I was like, oh man, I've never taught through a song and I wasn't very good at poetry in school. So this is kind of intimidating. But the more I dug into it, the more I remembered how appreciative I am for the Psalms. I liken them to someone's prayer journal often um, or their song book as they're trying to work out lyrics, which is where we got the name from. But there's something raw and unpolished about the words that we find in the Psalms that makes 
makes it easier to relate to the humanity of the people writing it. It, it isn't always the songs that you want to perform from stage, but it's like the ugly stuff too. And so I'm really excited to see what emotions come up as we're talking through this that you're able to relate in a way that maybe you couldn't if we were just studying a narrative form. Today's track is Psalm 98, so we're going to read it together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praise. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this moment to take a deep breath and just allow your spirit to move in this place and teach us, draw us closer to you. And we pray that in all of this, joy may be found. In Jesus' name, amen. This particular psalm, that's not behind me anymore, um, was one of seven psalms that were intended for worship specifically at festivals to celebrate God as king. It was meant to have music to these lyrics. They're often called enthronement psalms. It has three verses, if you will, that are three lines each. And essentially, they're trying to answer the questions, who, why do we sing and who should be a part of it? which seems pretty simple. This is one of those that you can just take the answer straight from the text. Why? For he has done marvelous things and brought salvation to Israel. Who? Everyone, everyone, and all of creation. And we could stop there and go have a really early lunch, but I think there's some more to this if we dig a little deeper. Part of the why is to remember, to remember those marvelous deeds and the salvation and the step-by-step that it took for the people of Israel to get there. I have an almost three-year-old in my house, and music is a big part of our life right now, even more than Baby Shark. Um, We sing to teach him everything. At daycare, he comes home learning with all these new songs that he's learned, and we found that that's, that's how he remembers things. He woke up in the middle of the night the other day belting this song about the days of the week, like, He just kept going, and we were like, dude, that's really cute, but it's like three in the morning. I need you to go back to sleep, but there's songs about the colors in Spanish. Um, I just heard somebody learning Mandarin to a song. Like, it's so cool how songs help us remember different things and learn different things. If you think in your own life, you probably learned the alphabet because it was sung, And I don't know about you, but when I have to alphabetize something, I still have to sing it in my head to remember the letter that's next. I think the Israelites understood this and knew that they'd be less likely to forget their history and their story if they put some words to music. 
Then there's the value of repetition. Just like my son repeats things over and over and over again until he gets it, they had to keep repeating their story. If we look in the first stanza of this psalm alone, the word salvation is repeated three times. The Hebrew word for it is Yeshua. Can everybody say Yeshua? Great job. So salvation, 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 Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. It's this word of rescue or deliverance that they're continuing to remember and remind one another of. It's also where we get the name Joshua, Yeshua, Joshua. It's not that far of a stretch. So in a way, they're remembering their story as they sing through each instance of that word. They were thinking of how Moses and then Joshua delivered their people from oppression and into the promised land of Canaan. It's also where we get the word Jesus. Yeshua is the ultimate rescuer and bringer of salvation, this deliverance. It, it's timeless in a way. Last week, Derek talked about our need to be covered by mercy. This week, we see the natural response. It's to sing. Creation is ahead of us. The psalm talks about the sea, the river, the mountains, all humming with praise in response to the goodness and the mercy of God. And we're merely invited to join in. As we're remembering, we have different motivations that we come in with, right? Um, sometimes we need to remember for ourselves. We need to remember our own journey with God, what we've been through. One of my favorite old hymns now is Come Thou Fount. And I didn't used to like it because it had a lot of old weird words in it like thou and hither. But as I've started to learn a little bit more about the background of it, I appreciate it in a different way. At the top of my steps in my house, I have this picture. It says Ebenezer, and it's in that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And when I was a kid, I was like, is this a Christmas song? Are we talking about Ebenezer Scrooge? Like, what does that mean? But it's actually referring to a stone, an Ebenezer stone that Samuel set up saying, thus far the Lord has brought us. So when I see this as I go up and down my stairs, it's a reminder for me that God has brought me this far. Sometimes, some days when I'm having a hard time trusting God or remembering that he is faithful or has ever been faithful, I have to think through my parts of my Ebenezer that have gotten me from where I was born and my family to college to meeting Kyle to our son and all the houses that we've bought and sold and all the people we've come in contact with and the highs and lows and loss and joy. And I remember that God has brought us to this point and I have to trust that he's gonna be faithful as we move forward. Sometimes we sing to remember our story collectively as an ACC family, if you will. Look at where you're sitting right now. These pews not too long ago were unbolted, turned upside down and shoved to the back of this room on a work day. As I was walking down the aisle to receive communion last week, I couldn't help but notice the beautiful hardwood floors. And it reminded me of that same work day when Janet was scrubbing, sweeping layers and layers of this black nasty dust off the floor so that we can now have these beautiful floors that we walk on day in and day out without even realizing it often. 
I think of people like Marla and Kendra who have been a part of this family for far longer than I have, who remember different locations, different stories. It's so important for us to sing with them, to hear their stories and to remember. And again, as we remember how faithful God has been in the past, it helps us look forward to trust him in the future. Lastly, sometimes when we show up, we don't feel like singing and we need to sing for each other. Maybe we need to sing for the person in the row in front of us that is having a hard time believing that marvelous things have ever happened, let alone will ever happen again in the future. Maybe this rescue and the deliverance that we're singing about is what they are craving. Maybe it's rescue from sickness, from crippling depression or anxiety, from a toxic relationship, for a soul-sucking work environment. They don't have the strength to sing it, but you singing it over them helps them remember the faithfulness of our God. We sing to remember the past, but in the present, this psalmist calls us to sing a new song, a new song that kept sticking out to me as I was studying this week. And I came across, across this quote that I think sums it up really well. The Italians have a fine word indicating what Psalm 98 is all about. It was Pope John XXII who called the church to the task of aggiornamento, new songs, a continued updating of old traditions to meet the needs and tastes of a new generation. Aggiornamento, I love that idea. I don't think the Pope was necessarily calling us to scrap the old hymns and only have a contemporary service. I think that there's great value in the older songs. As we've been talking about, they help us remember. They tell us our story. But God is continuing to do marvelous things. His mercies are new every day, and our soul's gut response is to praise him in new and creative ways. Maybe it is through music and singing. Maybe that is how your soul does want to respond. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's through art or writing, or serving, whatever it is, as long as it is the response to the mercy, then it's good. This concept makes me think of something that theologian N.T. Wright calls the period that we are living in right now. He calls it a period of improvisation. He says it is between the already of Jesus's death and resurrection and the not yet of what is to come. In it, we are left to improvise a lot of things. We are given the chord structure, if you will, through the life of Jesus, but we are left to figure out the specific notes. There's a lot of creative freedom that comes in it, but the criteria that the psalmist sets before us is that it needs to be for joy. It's repeated over and over again. That is why we shout, that is why we sing, that is why creation is responding. It's all through our joy and to bring joy to the world. In fact, this psalm is what the lyrics to Joy to the World were written off of. In 1719, Isaac Watts wrote this song. We're especially mindful of this at Christmas, but there's actually not that much Christmassy about it. It's a call to all of us throughout the year to tell the world that they have reason for joy. But if we're being honest, joy is kind of hard to come by many days. I think in my own life of the friends that I have that are fighting cancer right now, and it seems like the cancer continues to win. And that makes it really hard to find joy in the midst of that. 
I think of the news, and every time I turn it on, I hear about impeachment hearings, I hear about fires in California, and I hear about another mass shooting. In a way, we're almost numb to it. Instead of the exception, it's almost what we expect, one tragedy after another, and we're almost immune to it. And I think that's exactly the reason we need to sing. We need to remember that we have a reason for joy. It would be far easier to join in the cynicism and the hopelessness and to just give up, but I don't think that's what we're called to do. This joy that we have is not naive or ungrounded, but it's based in the last lines of this psalm. Oh, sorry, that's the lyrics to Joy to the World. Um, Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. At first, this doesn't seem that joyful or hopeful. Judging often invokes this connotation of condemnation. But here, the judging is through the lens of righteousness, of justice, of taking all the brokenness and seemingly hopeless things and making them right. We cling to the fact that God in his mercy isn't leaving things the way that they are, but he's in the process of restoring all of creation. That is why we can have joy. That is why we can sing. If I were writing the music to these lyrics, I think I would write it in a crescendo. It would start really quietly with just the voices. There would be that repetition and maybe it isn't until the third time that you start believing it based on the things that you've been going through that week. Salvation, salvation, oh yeah, salvation. And then we add in the instruments. People start singing louder, believing it more and more. And lastly, nature jumps in and the song builds and builds up to that last line, the loudest point yet, where we and all the instruments and all of creation are proclaiming that justice is in progress. The story is continuing to be written and we are singing it all along the way. As we sing, may we challenge cynicism and hopelessness. May we remember that God has been faithful in the past is deserving of our praise in the present and can be trusted to make things right in the future. Amen.